I want you to open your Bible with me to the book of John, John chapter 4. I'm going to read two verses, verse 13 and 14, John 4, 13 and 14. And while you're turning, I'll pray, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for another opportunity to worship you. Thank you for the reality of God in our lives and in this place. I thank you for your spirit manifesting himself in us, through us, among us. I pray and believe that every heart is an open heart, every ear is a listening ear, every mind is an undistracted mind, and for all that is done today, we will give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, someone shout amen. I want to read these two verses to you this morning. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We pastor a church in Northeast India. You saw the pictures there. Several years ago, we had a guest speaker on a Wednesday night when she was finished with her message. She asked us all to turn and kind of kneel in our chair and pray. And while we were praying, the Lord spoke to me and said, John, I didn't bring you to Nagaland just so you could change Nagaland, but also so that Nagaland could change you. And so this morning, I want to briefly share just a couple of points. It's not the most organized homiletical message you're ever going to hear, but just a couple of points to help you live a more productive Christian life. And this is for all the fathers and for all those who call God their heavenly father. And I guess I can call this message lessons from Nagaland. In the King James Version of this verse, Jesus said, the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So Jesus is talking about salvation in this verse. That's when we receive eternal life. And the Greek word translated life, you know, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. The Greek word translated life in this verse is the word zoe. We spell it with English letters Z-O-E. According to a Vines Expository Dictionary New Testament Words, a common resource, that word means life as God has it. So eternal life doesn't just mean you'll live forever. Even sinners will live forever. The word eternal emphasizes the nature of the life, not just the duration of the life. Only spiritual things are eternal. It's the very life and the nature of God. What kind of life is Zoe? Well, it couldn't be sick life because God's not sick. And it couldn't be broke God because God never shows up anywhere broke. And it's not tired life because God's not tired. It's not frustrated, worn out, burned out life. It's not depressed life. It's not in bondage life. It's not frustration life because God is not any of those things. And it's not boring life either. Some, some people, you know, they think, they think, you know, living for Christ is boring. But if you read the Bible, you'll see that a day with Jesus was never a dull moment. On the same day, healed the sick, fed a multitude with a little boy's lunch, walked on water, got to the other side, cast out demons. Pretty exciting day, just one day in the life of Christ. I think if your life is boring, you're not following him. Amen. Is heaven boring? We get to heaven, we're just, here's your harp, there's your cloud. <laughs> pluck it 
Do they have PlayStation up here? No. How long are you going to be up here? Forever. <laughs> no, no, heaven, you read the book of Revelation. Heaven is an exciting place. There are things happening. It's a busy place. Heaven's a noisy place. People are shouting, glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. We're trying to get you ready for heaven. That's why it's a little loud this morning. Amen. Zoe must be pure life. It must be holy life. It must be love life. God is love. It must be joy life, peace life. It must be strong life. God is strong. It must be healed and whole life. It must be rich life. God paves the streets with gold. It must be success life. Thank you for enthusiasm. Please sit down. But notice Jesus did not just give us a cup of living water. He said, I'm going to put in you a well of water. A well is a replenishing source of water. Well, in Nagaland, uh, we don't have any uh, public works, public city water. Everybody has to dig their own well. So in my house in Nagaland, workers came and they bore a hole in the ground 280 feet deep to finally hit usable water. But having water in the well, and I know this from living there, having water in the well is not the same thing as having water in the house. Right? So we have an electric pump and... Uh, and uh, there are some girls, that young, young ladies that stay in our house that help my wife. See, we don't have a, a washing machine, a dishwasher, a dryer. We have our dishwasher sleeps in the back bedroom. And, the, and, the, and, the, and, and, and so they have to help with, that, with the housework. One of their jobs is in the morning, they have to just go and switch on that pump. And it pumps up the water from the well into a tank on top of the roof. And then the water flows down from gravity, by gravity, see. Now, more than once this has happened where I'm taking a shower in the morning and suddenly the water stops flowing. And I'm standing there in my birthday suit covered in suds going, oh, no, this cannot be happening because the tank went dry. And so I'm yelling out the window, somebody forgot to pump up the water this morning. You know, and they're all busy, you know, eating their breakfast. Somebody forgot to pump up the water this morning. Now, many times, I'm a pastor, many times I see Christians who look frustrated. They look irritated. They look aggravated. They look, you know, upset. They look, you know, angry. They look dry. And I think to myself, somebody forgot to pump up the water this morning. I said, somebody forgot to pump up the water this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. See, you've got a well. You've got a well of living water inside of you, full of the life and the nature, the quality of God. It's in you, but you've got to pump it up. How do you do that? The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, Isaiah 12, 3, with joy you will draw water, from the wells of salvation. Now, I know that on the one hand, this verse means that joyfully we'll receive the water of salvation and we're glad in it. And I, I know that. But maybe there's also a thought here as well that joy is the bucket. With joy, you will draw water from the well. 
So in other words, when we rejoice and praise God like we did a moment ago, that's not a preliminary. We're not just waiting for you to arrive in the service so we can start. That We're not just biding our time. This is what we're going to do forever. This is what we're going to do forever. We're going to praise God forever. So you better, you know, deal with it. <laughs> Amen. When we're praising God, we're turning on the electric pump. Hallelujah. Now, there are some people, they're probably not here this morning, but there are some people, you don't want to talk to them in the morning until they've had at least one cup of coffee. Like my parents. <laughs> it's not pretty, right? Likewise, we should begin every day. Somebody say every day. Not just Sunday, my friend. Every day being renewed and refreshed with God's presence. Years ago, uh, you know, when you're pastor, you're dealing with all different kinds of people. And uh, years ago, I was aggravated at one of my church members. I can't even remember what it was about now. And so I, I sent a message to her, I need to see you after the service Sunday. You know, so we came together and, you know, we're worshiping the Lord and his presence just seemed so real and so dear. And our hearts were just saturated with the goodness of his word and it was just a good, a good time, you know. And when the service was over, I, I kind of forgotten all about, you know, the church member. And she came up to me and said, did you want to see me, Pastor? And all that, you know, f anger had just, just faded away, you know. And, and, I, and, and I, I just looked at her and said, yeah. She said, what is it? And I said, I love you. <laughs> Amen. If you'll spend more time shouting unto the Lord, you'll spend less time shouting at your husband. Let's move on. Your husband didn't ask me to say that either. I'll just say it. Let's look at another verse real quick. Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Mark 4, 18 and 19. Jesus said, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Most of us, I think, would compare God's word to lightning, or maybe dynamite, boom. But Jesus said it's like seed. He never compared God's word to those other things. See, seed reproduces the life of the plant from which it came. God's word has the ability to reproduce his life in you. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, that we have been born again, not by perishable seed, but by imperishable seed, by the living and enduring or abiding word of God. So if you want to grow, if you want to be more like the Lord, you need more of his seed. You need more of his word. But a seed, the life of a seed is dormant until it is planted in fertile soil. Likewise, and I'm sure you know this, I, I warned you, this is a simple message. This is not necessarily for the deep sheep, you'll forgive me. I'm preaching to the back row, not the front row this morning. But the, the life of the seed is dormant until it's planted in fertile soil. So likewise, your Bible will not do anything for you while it decorates your coffee table and adorns your nightstand. 
It must be planted in your heart. And that comes by hearing it with an open heart, receiving it. Some people don't want to hear nothing. Amen? But if there's a lack of fruit in our lives, or in other words, if we're not seeing the results from what we know, because I think if we put a scale, this is like what we know, and this is like what we show. We know much more than what we're living in or what we're experiencing in. God's not impressed with your knowledge of the Bible, darling. He wrote the Bible. He's impressed by fruit. He wants to see change in our lives. Amen. I'm not just preaching so you can say amen. I'm preaching so that your life can change. It don't matter how well I preach. It matters how well we live. So if there's a lack of fruit, the problem is never with the seed. It's always with the soil. It's always with our hearts. And so in the verse that I read, Jesus said to be a fruitful believer, you must weed the garden of your heart. Now, if you want tomatoes, you have to plant tomato seeds. But you don't have to go to the store to buy weed seed. They just come up on their own because it's part of the curse. They just, they just show up uninvited. So what that means is if you just do nothing, your heart will be crowded with cares and lust and other desires, and it will choke the word right out of your life. In other words, you will lose by default. You have to discipline yourself. If you have a casual attitude towards the word of God, friend, you're going to become a casualty. Right? Amen. So we know that, you know, anxiety, worry makes the word of no effect and, and an insatiable craving for things. Some people love things more than God. That will neutralize God's word. But notice, and this is really the point I want to make, Jesus said, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. Not bad things, just other things that crowd out your life and push God's word into a small place in your life. So my advice, I have this unique situation where I live in India and come home, come to America every summer, and I've done it for 25 years. And my advice for most Americans is, Make your life simpler and take it slower. Simplify your life. Because it seems to me that almost everything in our American culture, by design, is created to be counterproductive for our spiritual development. You see, Nagaland, the place I live, it's a state in India. It's a backward place by Western standards. There's nothing to do there. I mean, basically, that's true. Over the past eight months, see, I, I, I've been there for the last eight months. I was here last summer. Over, I just got here uh, Tuesday night. Over the past eight months, I've eaten out in a restaurant uh, about seven times. I haven't been shopping even once because there's nothing to buy. And even I could buy clothes, they don't fit me because they're all short and skinny and I look like, you know, Goliath. And, and so it, 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 in 25 years, I've never even been to the movies over there 
I have it here, but over there, except maybe twice when I visited the city of Calcutta, but in Nagaland, never. But this means I have a lot more time, a lot more time for the things of God. Sometimes the things that you think are a disadvantage in your life, they might be an advantage. There are less distractions for me to deal with, less things competing for my attention, less weeds to pull. See, the thing is this, when people are not really into Jesus, it's usually because they're really into something else. If you're not passionate about Christ, it's probably because you're passionate about other things. Don't turn your hobby into a religion and your religion into a hobby. Are you out there today? Imagine, and I'm just saying this in general, okay, don't get offended, but imagine if parents were as passionate for church as they were about children's sports. There is a 0.0296% chance your child will become a professional athlete. There is a 100% chance he will stand before Christ. See... I'm not against sports, don't, don't get me wrong, okay? But for many people where I live, church is all they have. It's what they live for. It's, it's not just recreation if they have a free Sunday or something like that. Several years ago, I visited one of our church members in her home, a, a young a woman, young lady named Mary. And uh, she was very faithful. Every time the door was open, she was in the service, never missed a service. Her parents are very poor. I, her mother was just like a, um, a common laborer. Her father, I think he had a very low position just in, in one government office. He just, you know, got paid nothing. They lived in a bamboo thatch house with a bare cement floor, just plain cement floor. And that was rented. They didn't even own that. And so I visited Mary and... Um, and, uh, and I asked her, you know, when you finish high school, what do you want to do? She said, I want to be a missionary. I thought, that's, that's, that's nice. And so after, after the visit, I, I went back to my car. And I'll, I'll never forget it, as long as I live. As I was opening the door to my car, suddenly the Lord spoke to me. And he said, you see, John, your church is all that Mary has. She doesn't have anything else. See, he's telling me, why she was faithful. See, you're treating church like a luxury. It's a necessity. God's word is not bread that we eat on special occasions. It's, it's not cake, rather, that we eat on special occasions. It's bread that we consume every day. Are you out there today? But you know, the, there's, an, there's a happy ending to that story. A couple of years later, we took a team from our church to another nearby state in India to attend a Reinhardt Bonnke crusade, you know, and Mary went with us. Well, walking around the town, strange town, she got lost, and she couldn't find her way back to our camp, you know, where our team was, and she bumped into a fellow from Arizona who just happened to be there in India to attend that crusade. Well, he helped her find her way. They became friends. They eventually got married, and today she and her husband or they're living in India and serving the Lord in full-time ministry. God will take care of you. 
God will take care of you. Amen. Listen, my time is, is coming to an end. Let me read one more verse to you if you can, if you can stomach it. John chapter 4, verse 32 and 34. John 4, 32 and 34. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Then in verse 40, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Many people think that doing God's will is something painful, but Jesus found it pleasurable. He said ministry is satisfying. Many Christians, now not you folks, but maybe the folks in the, in the later service, many Christians when they're bored with their Christian life or they're just kind of dissatisfied, I know they're not serving. He said, I have food to eat you don't know anything about. They're not, th- th- maybe the only person they're serving is themselves. You see, God wants you to be more than a consumer of ministry. He wants you to be a contributor to the ministry. So you don't, you don't give armor to spectators. It's time for you to get in the game. Can I get an amen? Amen. Hallelujah. The happiest people in my church are those who are serving in some way. Soul winners have a joy that others have not tasted. As you visit the sick, God visits you. As you give yourself for the cause of Christ, God gives more of himself back to you. There are some things you're never going to learn and never going to experience except through serving. Are you listening to me? The self-centered life is the miserable life. Spending your day all day long just trying to make yourself happy, that's a surefire way to be upset, frustrated, because it's never going to happen. You weren't created to live that way, my friend. Around 70% of our church members participate in HELPS ministry. And it's not because they're like better people or something like that or more noble or even more spiritual. It's real simple. For them, it's different than here. I I get that. But for them, most of them don't get their affirmation or sense of respect from their career. They don't have a career. They have some of them. Some of them just have some of them have odd jobs or or just a lot of them are just a low government job and and, uh, but they get that from serving God in the church. In other words, they consider it a great honor to be an usher. Not like you got jury duty or something. Oh, it's my turn again. Can I, can I, can I call in sick this time? You know, they, they, they're honored. In fact, sometimes if we have to replace them, you know, we have to be very careful because they get very, they get very hurt by that, you know. To, to be on the on praise and worship team, that is like, the highest honor for them. And they treat it, they treat it with great respect. You know, that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. You know, life is more than paying bills and lawn care. <laughs> There's got to be more to life than this. <laughs> you, you know, one day you're going to stand before the man from Galilee. And he's not going to ask you about your hobbies. He's not even going to ask you about your dreams. He's going to ask you, did you fulfill my plan for your life? 
And if you think you feel a little uncomfortable while I'm speaking, huh, that's nothing compared to that day when there's nowhere to hide. Many Christians are receiving and receiving and receiving, but never giving out. You, you not only have a need to receive, you have a need to serve. See, many Christians are spiritually constipated. And, and, you know, they're always hearing, but nothing ever comes out. <laughs> Mind you, I'm not comparing this message. You know. <laughs> huh? And you know, irregular people are not happy people. <laughs> Today you need a Holy Ghost x lax <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. So God wants you to pump up the water. Pump up the water every day. Weed your garden. Simplify your life. Focus on the things that matter most. God deserves more than just five minutes. And then serve. Just like Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. I think you'll be happier. I think you'll find out that's the life that God designed for you to live.